Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us an opportunity to check out some of the recent guests who've joined us on JM in the AM. We'll start with Rabbi Kenneth Brander, Rosh Hashiva and President at Oratora Stone. He visited us recently to discuss some of the uh, amazing initiatives and innovations in the world of Jewish education undertaken by the Oratora Stone organization. Rabbi Kenneth Brander on JM Rewind here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, we mentioned earlier and... Uh, um, at the beginning of the week as well, that Rabbi Kenneth Brander, who is the uh, president and Rosh Yeshiva at Or Torah Stone in Israel, would be visiting us in studio this week here at JM in the AM. I remind you that Or Torah Stone, based in Israel, of course, is a modern Orthodox movement transforming Jewish life, learning, and leadership worldwide. And it is, in fact, an honor to welcome Rabbi Dr. Kenneth Brander into our studio here at JM in the AM. Good morning. A pleasure to see you. Good morning, Nachum. It's a pleasure to be here. And let me just start off wishing you a mazel tov on uh, Binyamin's engagement and uh, also entering this new stage of your life, which uh, brings with it without any pressure, especially when you're the <laughs> father-in-law, uh, but without any pressure, it brings with it unbelievable payroll. And you then you realize that the reason why you had children is because the ultimate reward is Please, God, uh, the grandchildren. 100%. So uh, might be a little too early to discuss that at this <laughs> point. But uh, just you're always a long-term planner. So I'm just uh, mazel tov, mazel tov. You should have Thank much you. simcha from your children. Thank you. And from the families, please, God, they'll build. Thank you. A legacy, heritage, and tradition are very important to our people. Right. And, what, and, and this, this whole wonderful simcha that's taking place relates to all three of those, relates to, you know, the future of the Jewish people, so to speak. So if you, in fact, are going to recognize those who think ahead and those who are big thinkers, uh, each and every time someone does expand the family, meaning their own family, by welcoming in a daughter-in-law or son-in-law, they should realize that there's a, an even much larger picture than that, and I'm sure you appreciate that. 100%. That's why if you look at the Sheva Brachot, they not only speak about the individual companionship that is gained, but it also speaks about the community building that happens. I also think that's why there's not a particular bracha for marriage itself underneath the chuppah, but rather marriage, as the Rishonim say in the Tractate of Ketubot, is really a hechsher mitzvah. It's the preparation for the achievement of the building of a legacy, which the Siegel family has wondrously created uh, your parents, um, you, uh, your siblings, and please guide your children also. Wow. And this is all extra special when you're getting these words from somebody who knows the children for quite a while. Right. Because you remember Binyamin when he was uh, not of marriageable age, when right. he was just growing up. So it makes it extra special. Um, well, you're here today, and I'm glad you're visiting. We have an opportunity to catch up on the activities of Artura Stone. It is... Um, Amazing every time we see these charts and the statistics and the unbelievable influence uh, that Artura Stone is having worldwide. And I, I guess from your vantage point, um, now being in the position as president and Rosh Yeshiva, you must also marvel at the fact that these numbers continue to increase and all this in- incredibly positive influence uh, continues to have this ripple effect throughout the entire globe. It, it's just amazing. It's it's first of all, it's amazing what you see happens in Israel. You know, we had a, a program for Megillah reading. We had over five hundred Megillah readings across Israel, 
and we had 95,000 people come to Megillah readings uh, in tents or in Matnasim and Jewish community centers all over Israel because we in, we are the educators for most of the Jewish community centers, the Matnasim in Israel. We interact with 400,000 Israelis who are not part of the traditional uh, or orthodox community. And if you look at that number and you realize if there are, again, roughly around – Eight million people in Israel and two million are, are minority Israeli citizens, and then there's two million that are, uh, you know, part of the Orthodox community. So there's around four thousand, four million um, Jews who are part of the larger community, and you're interacting with four hundred thousand of them. That means you're interacting with around ten percent. That's a very large number. And, you know, my question I ask myself is we're a mile wide. How do we get more than an inch deep mm-hmm. in those conversations without being viewed as kfia, of uh, coercive in any way? So you see that and then you, you know, you, you meet with your rabbis uh, all over the world and you have uh, over 200 rabbis right now in the field uh, throughout the world uh, through the Baron Amiel and Strauss Amiel uh, emissary program. And you just see the wondrous things they're doing, and there are many challenges, but the wondrous things they're doing. Let me I, – I need to understand this. When you say that, for instance, uh, on, on the night of Purim, you know, this program is taking place throughout Israel, is it your staff and students who are the ones leading all these Megillah readings? So our staff coordinates it. We don't have enough staff to lead 500-plus right. Megillah readings, so we take out ads in the newspaper about if there are people who want to become Megillah readers, then we get them. And we work with our friends like Rav David Stav, who is also a faculty member at Ortora Stone to help us staff it. But the overall organization of the structures um, is totally part of our uh, – it's called uh, our Jewish cultural program. We actually call it Yachad. It's different than the Yachad in America. Right. And it was started uh, – You know, that's sometimes the problem with silos. Yachad in – that does wondrous work in, in America. And Yachad in Israel are different. But we focus Yachad of coming together under, around Jewish culture um, for all peoples. Now, there would be no – or in, in this most would not exist. There would be no Megillah readings in these right, places. In these places, now there are. There would be the standard right. Megillah readings in synagogues, right. which are very significant. But we, we, we it's called Megillah B'Kihilah, Megillah in the community, and we same thing for Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, where you we could have over a hundred thousand, uh, you know, people come for for Rosh Hashanah services. We have shofar in the park, <laughs> uh, and you'll have. <laughs> Without exaggeration, you, you you know you'll have hundreds of thousands that will come, for reasons that you may we may not want to go into today. They're not entering into synagogues. Right. Only twenty seven percent, according to the Pew study, enter into a synagogue. So you bring the ritual to them, right? It's a market driven it, approach. It's, it's amazing. And it, look, Rabbi Riskin, who's Chancellor Emeritus of Our Torah Stone, and you have been such champions of of just trying to be as unified as possible, trying to bring positive messages to people and spread that word and, and, and let these 400,000 or whatever the figure is, each you know Chag, et cetera, let them feel part of everything that we're doing. And we, then let them find their own spiritual wings and let it take them wherever they want, want to, wherever it goes. And I think that that's not just true with the what I would call the direct work, but the fact that uh, we have... Uh, have worked very hard that women who are part of the religious community who want to go into the IDF, 
Um, and if you look at statistics, they're going into the IDF with ortorostone or without ortorostone. Right. But we, we created a spiritual uh, livui. We've, we've created a spiritual like accompaniment uh, when they serve in the army. I've <laughs> I've moved from um, – people ask me if I'm bilingual yet because I've only been in Israel <laughs> eight months. And I speak a lot in Hebrew. I give all my shiurim in Hebrew. But I've come to the conclusion that I am I'm no longer lingual at all because I'm not yet bilingual and I don't feel like I'm alingual. I'm nonlingual because I'm forgetting – like I said, livui, and I had to think for a second. What's that <laughs> English word again for that, that Hebrew word? So I'm not lingual right now. I'm in that nonlingual state. So, What language do you think in? Normally, um, I think I'm starting to th- start to, to think, think more in Hebrew. Hebrew. That's I'm amazing. starting to write in Hebrew straight. I used to write right. in English and translate. But I'm starting to write in Hebrew straight. Does it become a problem when you're making a presentation publicly? And you know, sometimes, as we know, our mm. brethren in Israel, just like our brethren here in America, can be a bit cynical, and they're looking at an American Jewish leader presenting to them. Does it ever become an issue or not? Well, I, I uh, I'm not embarrassed to say that I have a tutor. Ah, uh, in Hebrew, good idea, uh, very good idea. I, I actually um, called Dove Lippman, and I said to him, "I said, how'd you do this? Great uh, idea. How'd you do this?" He said he had a tutor. Great idea. So what's his name or her name? It's a, it's a him, and I use the same tutor. He's excellent, and it's a uh, it's a one hour a week. Very intense thing. All conversation, I assume. Uh, well, now we're actually doing the thing that I go through my speeches for the week. Right. We can't do all of them in an hour, but right. uh, I'll go through some of them with him, and it's very important. And and you know, I I, I think that because Israel, everybody is an immigrant, that you get a buy, right. and I'll throw in a lot sometimes English. But I, I'll tell you that uh, my wife, who uh, you know. A, she listens to you all the time, so I'm sure she's <laughs> listening now. Uh, my wife, um, we went uh, to a tekes for Yom Hazikaron. We have uh, six high schools. Each one of them have a tekes for Yom Hazikaron uh, because they've all lost uh, students. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I spoke at one of them, and I, I turned to my wife who came with me, and I said, like, I feel like I'm a fraud because I'm about to get up there and speak, and I'm sitting in front of 20 families who've lost children. And yes, we've had a son, thank God, who who went through the army. But you look sometimes you, I don't think anyone feels that I'm a fraud. I think sometimes I feel like I'm a fraud in those cases. But I prepare extra to make sure that I resonate in a way that that speaks to the issue. And I do believe that we are moving the ball forward internationally. And um, I think that my colleagues uh, have been giving me the proper guidance to make sure that I'm focusing on things that I think are important and the things that I need additional guidance with because I'm new to it, I'll never get the whole slang right. of the army. Right. But everybody you get, tells me. can only do that through experience. Yeah, but everybody tells me that the slang changes all the time. So <laughs> once they're out of the army, they don't get it either. <laughs> so, you know, when I visit army bases um, to speak to our students, so I'll normally now go with somebody. Right. Um, but the Torah is sincere and people see that, and it makes a difference. I, I have to ask you some follow-up on that question, but before I do, you did hand me a photograph, because right. you just mentioned a moment ago about students in the Army. You handed me a photograph of a, a tech essay gathering, a celebration that was taking place. Explain what this is about. So if you go, if uh, any of the listeners go to my Twitter feed, they'll see there's a picture of a young woman. Uh, she's married. In uniform. She, in uniform. She's the lieutenant, the first lieutenant. So the first thing to realize about her that she's covering her hair. 
Um, the second thing to recognize that. is the fact that every time she gets a bar, um, and you'll see on her on her shoulders, she's actually made a siyum on a masechta and shas. Uh, she's a student of mine. I've attended uh, at least one of the siyumim. I wasn't around for this first siyum. Um, and, and that's true for most of the 34 women who are now officers uh, who learn by us. Uh, they make a siyum every time they get a different uh, darga. Again, searching for that English word, <laughs> different level in the uh, army. Um, and first of all, it's amazing because Rabot Banot Asuchayo Ve'at Alit Al Kulana now has a new meaning to me. Uh, you know, it's just a new meaning that women who are serving but Sni'ut, um, Ba'oz Uba'anava. And with great sincerity. Great sincerity. And so purpose this, of mission. And this not woman. Not to make a statement not about to make anything, a statement, just not purpose to make a of statement. mission. So this woman is get, was one of the 120 soldiers that was given an award by the president, Daniel Mitzmoot. Two of the 120 are our students, current are our students. And she is in an intelligence unit, so therefore it's forbidden to take a picture with her. Mm, that's why uh, she's faced the other way. Uh, yeah, it's forbidden to have a picture of right. her in, in uniform right. uh, with her face. So the, so the press release that was released by the army has a picture of her. She's called, you know, Chayelet Y. Uh, because you can't mention her name. And if you look at the sub-picture in there, Nahum, right. you'll see, and it's on the Twitter feed, you'll see that she's being presented an award in the president's house, and she's not facing right. the audience, but she's only facing the president. Right. So that and no I, and one she, can and see. I assume she went up to the stage she, in that manner. Right. right. Um, and everybody knows that that's the protocol. Right. She's not the only person right. like that. But whoever thought that, you know, my son wore what I would call the modern uh, big day kahuna. Uh, my son's a Kohen when he put on the I, the Israeli uniform. But my mother-in-law, blessed memory, was a survivor of Auschwitz. She wore a different uniform. And the fact that she was Zoha to have grand, a grandchild uh, that wore a different uniform, it's just we're living who in... Who she saw in uniform or not? She never saw a uniform. Saw. But my father, who was hidden... Who was also a survivor of the Holocaust, uh, and who was hidden as a, as a by a Christian family, he escorted my son to the Bakum, to the uh, recruitment center, and it's just an amazing thing that a, a father, who a, a grandfather who, you know, was introduced to the Israeli, he told me that when they announced the state of Israel, he was in a DP camp, and even the Satmar danced when they announced the uh, the st- establishment of the state of Israel. Yeah. For him to be able to see a whole new legacy. We were talking about legacy. That's a whole new legacy. Yeah. That are all of our families, whether they serve in the IDF or not, all of our families have been privileged to see. Your family and my family have been privileged to see. So when you see women like this who daven three times a day in the army, who sit and learn, there's another, there's another story, if I may, of a of a man who was in the IDF, in the Air Force, and he had a Gemara in the base medrash. And every single day he would walk in the base medrash, the Gemara was moved. It was consistent being moved. So he decided one day that he would come early to see who's moving his Gemara. <laughs> it turned out it was one of my students that was moving his Gemara because she was learning the same as Sechta. <laughs> it's not like on a forward base there's multiple sets of shots. Right. <laughs> so they got to meet each other. You know, their wedding was a 
was two months ago. Unbelievable. Right? They met in the base Medrash <laughs> in an Air Force forward army thing. I'm not even sure I'm allowed to announce where the Air Force base was. <laughs> but the bottom line is that this – it's it, you know, you just see the fact that you're able to, to change the world and introduce Torah values, and that's the key piece and talk in a about, modern context. And talk about a positive Haruta experience. Yes. That, that worked out really well. Yes, that worked out very nice. They don't all work out like that. <laughs> it's America's but, one yeah. and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Rabbi Kenny Brander is with us. Uh, love when you are here, and here's what I wanted to ask you. Excuse and and by the way, as an two thing two asides before I ask you the question. That's how yeah. how my mind works when you're here. First of all, we, we you you show us this picture and you talk about the uh, uh, the the lieutenant colonel is it um, lieutenant? first lieutenant first lieutenant who's getting this award. We have a we have a precedent or how do I put it? We have a history of this because and I and I'm ashamed of myself that I've forgotten the exact quote. But the Clay Yucker in the in the episode of the Miraglim says Nashim. I think it says Hata'aretz. Mm-hmm. And, and the point being that if Moshe Rabbeinu would have sent women to be these advanced spies, we would not have the problems historically, unfortunately, he sent men. That's, the point. That's his point right. in there. So we, we should just keep that in mind that when I say who are serving sincerely and serving with purpose of mission and not you know, making a political or, or social statement, I mean it because it's, it's ingrained in the women of the Jewish people uh, since the time of the uh, of Dor Hamidbar, which I think is important to point out. The second thing is that, uh, and and you mentioned that the um, this uh, Satmar were dancing, or however you you know you want to put it in terms of the establishment of the state of Israel. It's one of the points we made last week, and one of the fears that I have in terms of what's happening here that some people who make public statements, public statements about the, the about the state of Israel, about what's going on today, you know, with with certain aspects. I don't think they realize that their grandfathers and great-grandfathers danced with joy the moment that the state was announced, that it was declared, when the independence was declared. And I think that's really important to remember. Lastly, and here's finally the question I wanted to ask you, if you're a fraud, and I say that with great respect, you know what I mean in context, are we all frauds? Are we, you know, those of us who think that we are dedicated to, and now you've been on both sides. You've been on the side of a very active um, lover of Israel living in the United States, and now, of course, you're a very active lover in Israel living where we all belong. Are we all frauds or not? God forbid. We're, we're none of us are frauds. Um, we wear different, uh, you know, the Kohen Gadol, since we're in the middle of Ayikra, wore uh, the Choshen on his heart, and then the Choshen, the breastplate, had multiple stones in it representing the tribes of the Jewish people, multiple colors. We need all the colors. We need all the all the beautiful we, we need all the beautiful stones um and we live on volcanic soil uh, there are challenges we have challenges as a people and we can solve those challenges if we're together you know we just launched uh what's called a merkaz etan etan for the word strength which is basically um a a therapeutic center for high school students we have 3000 high school students in the gush so imagine what happens when uh, Ori Ansbacher, who wasn't one of our students, right. but she lives in Tekoa. All the 11th and 12th graders know her. She's murdered. By the way, her last song was about the notion of peace. And how do you deal with that trauma? How do, the cl- how do you deal with it in the classroom? How do you deal with it individually? How do you deal with it in the family? So we created a therapeutic center 
for our 3,000 students that's activated every single time this trauma. And, you know, we can only we can only recognize and are able to do these type of things when world jury is behind us. And I think that often our biggest challenge is not foreign enemies. I think our biggest challenge is often the enemies from within. And as we, if, we can, if each of one of your listeners, the next time they hear somebody speak out against another human being or another Jew or for that matter definitely against the state of Israel – um, to the left or to the right, just basically reminds people about the responsibility, especially during Sfira, when the students of Rebbe Akiva, who were the soldiers uh, during this, the rebellion against Rome, and the Gemara tells us the reason why that rebellion failed was lo nagu kavod zebazeh. They didn't treat each other with respect. If we just realize that we are, we have multiple colors and multiple paradigms and multiple forms of respect and multiple forms of truth within the prism of halacha, um, then I think that we'll be better off. And therefore, Nachum, what you do uh, changes the Jewish world throughout throughout the world. Uh, we just got to make sure it becomes more listened to in a uh, in a, you know, in Israel, uh, <laughs> Renana listens to it. I know that Katamon listens to it. Efrat listens to it. We just got to get it more out there. We got to get Chadera and Shteirot and a few other places to start listening to the Nachum Siegel Network. But the bottom line is, I think all of us have that opportunity. And if we just recognize that responsibility and to support initiatives that we believe in um, and, and never give in to cynicism or mediocrity, um, then we rec- that that's the way we, we we become true to ourselves. How do you deal with those who may not halachically even belong on the choshen, the erev rav, those who are out there in a public fashion, you know, degrading, degrading the land of Israel, the state of Israel, and by you know, as a byproduct, the Jewish people. So. I mean, I think that there are people to the left and to the right that might not always fit in the Choshen. I, I like to believe that even between the stones, there's space. Um, I, I find the best way to deal with it is to speak to people in person in, over the phone. If I hear somebody that I feel was totally off, I'm not going to write a piece against them. I'm going to call them and talk to them. I think a lot of times that's much more helpful. Um, I think that we just need to be careful. I think for the most part, there are people that most people are within the Choshen. The vast majority are within the Choshen, are, are within those beautiful stones. Um, even Jews who are not fully embracing tradition uh, are still within, in my opinion, at least within that framework. And we just need oh, to. Oh, you know, I agree with that. I know you do. Yeah, no question about it. I just wanted to distance you from that comment in case <laughs> some, some, not everyone distances. No, I wanted what, to make what, state, what, my statement. What frustrates me again is, is people who, you know, who defend and support political candidates who are clearly anti Israel. And, and, and again, and you pointed out earlier about, you know, making comments and the way people, you know, should be careful about comments they make about Israel. If they are concerned about halacha, if they are concerned, it, it it probably is against halacha to make negative statements about Israel. My father, blessed memory, used to, you know, he he would always say whenever whenever a critical word came up about Israel, he would always say, you know, there's a pasuk or a betuv Yerushalayim. Right. So we're probably required. There's an isolation hara against 
the state of Israel right. against against the land of Israel. We have to be careful about that. Right. There are many more Yisurim about that than there are about Chav Yisrael. Right. And we have to recognize that. And sometimes we're mocked on the small things. We're stringent on the small things and not on the larger narratives. And thank you for the for the quote that I needed from this show. Right. I appreciate that. Right. That's a good one. <laughs> That's so a very it's a, good it's, one. It's, it's important. Why is it that you and Rabbi Riskin, and I say it that way because obviously you're you're helping to fill his shoes at this point as he has become the uh, the leader emeritus of Ortura Stone. It, it, it seems it seems on a regular basis. You just described the one for therapeutic help for you know the trauma that affects uh, young people when something tragic happens, and we just saw last week what's going on with children having to live under rocket fire, etc. Right. Um, it, it seems like you're always adding. There's always another program, always another uh, you know aspect to this, and and this meaning you know the statistics and the organizational chart that I hold in front of me. There's always more to do, and you don't hesitate to add, even if it means more personnel, more fundraising, frankly, and more of a structure that's necessary. It's not easy. Forget the money for a moment. It's not always easy to staff these programs and to do so in some cases, you know, from thousands of miles away if you're, you know, working on different continents. But it doesn't seem like you or him, he for many decades, ever hesitated to do that. Well, first of all, thank you for that uh, compliment. Um... I think we are a modern – we believe in modern orthodoxy. We believe in the movement of living, learning, and leading Torah and leading the Jewish people, and we need to do so. So when we build high schools, they speak to the fact that we want to educate young men and young women properly. The fact that our high schools are viewed in Israel, at least five out of the six of them are viewed in the top 30 in the country. Uh, one of them actually is listed by the army as number four in the country for – um, uh, having commanders in combat units. I think that's critical, the fact that we have the only orthodox year in Israel program for young adults with special needs. How could we not do that? The fact that we're making sure that, this, that the glass ceiling that has been imposed on women's learning, um, that should be shattered because it's not a halachic ceiling, it's a social ceiling. We have the largest base measures for women in the Jewish world. It's critically important. It's the future of the Jewish people. Um, Where's that located, the largest space well, for women? In, in Midrash at Lindenbaum, in that's Jerusalem. In the oh, in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. We have two branches in Lud and in Carmiel in the north and Galil, which is also important. And they each have a little different flavor. Um, you know, we're dealing with the fact that Jews in Israel are searching desperately for their legacy, they want their legacy. They might not want it in a synagogue, and that's a different conversation right. about how we train rabbis. Right. And there are a lot of good people doing good work in that field right now. But the bottom line is when you have 95,000 people come to Megillah readings, it just says something not about your organization. It says something about the Jewish people. Right. The fact and that we're celebrating 20 years of sending shlichim around the world and that we have— 100 Jewish communities, 20 countries, and now, as the Jerusalem Post pointed out, Celebrating the twentieth anniversary right. of that program. I haven't read the article. Jerusalem right, Post neither did I. But I saw the headline. Right, but, uh, <laughs> hopefully, it's good. I'm sure it is. The Jerusalem Post normally is very good, and 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 the fact that we have, you know, we're we're our students are speaking twenty four different languages wow. to communicate this Torah message. And by the way, everything you described that's happening in Israel, essentially the same type of programming is what's going on on the other continents, right? Basically. Right, right. I mean, The same the, type of outreach, the same type of programming, et cetera. Well, the shlichut that we're doing is totally, you know, we have one branch that focuses internally. 
outreach in Israel and another branch that focuses on helping communities throughout the throughout the world. Is that under I mean who who helps you with that? Like Well, Rabbi Birnbaum is the major leader. And he's traveling a lot in he's order to traveling to meet all these people on a constant basis. He, he and his team um, are traveling. Rabbi Rabbi Birnbaum, I would say travels um, 20 days of a month. And that's essentially Europe and South America, would that yeah, be and the, North America and now, North America, uh, right? Even in Teaneck, I think we have at least two to Tinek Englewood, we have at least three shlichim uh, in Ben Parat Yosef and in Englewood. Again, it's hard to remember where you know we have right now 153 shlichim in the right. all over. It's hard to remember where they all are. And the high schools that you mentioned, the uh, the majority of them are in Efrat or in four, other? four are in the Gush area. Right. Two are in Efrat, two are in Gush Etzion area, two more are in Jerusalem, um, and they're they're really first rate schools. And each school has a different little twist to it based on needs. Some have more special needs in it. Some are more elite in other ways. Some are uh, have strong arts programs. They're just – one thing is out of all of our high schools, every single week there are 1,900 chesed initiatives. Wow. It just speaks to – I mean that's the culture in Israel. And also with the statistic and the attitude that you mentioned earlier that the Army is telling you about the type of students that they're getting from your schools – if, in fact, like we did earlier in the week, um, I wonder if Winkler was here, uh, if, in fact, it, there's going to be an acknowledgement that the Hezder Yeshivot went ahead and transformed leadership in the IDF, one could make the same argument for your institution. In, in, in a way, it's transformed in a very positive manner the officer leadership of the IDF. Well, I think that the Hezder movement has done wonderful things, and we have two Hezder Yeshivot, one in the Galil and one in uh, Migdal Oz in the right across the street, basically. Right. And it has done wonderful things. 33% of our students in the Hezder Yeshiva in Migdal Oz, it's called Machanayim, Baron Machanayim, 33% of them serve in commando units. It's a, it's three years Hezder learning and then, excuse me, two years of learning, three years in the Army, and then one year uh, return. So it's a six-year program. But the first week I was there, then Defense Minister Lieberman called me and asked to meet with me. I said, I'll come to your office. Now he says, I want to come to Midrash at Lindenbaum. So he came to Midrash at Lindenbaum, and Rabbi Riskin came also. And first of all, my first epiphany was the fact that the three of us are having a conversation, and none of us were born in Israel. The Minister right. of Defense who speaks Hebrew with a Russian accent, Rabbi Riskin, who speaks Hebrew with an American accent, and Kenny Brander who speaks English with an American accent and Hebrew with a very American accent. Um, and we're having this conversation. He says, I came here to tell you that what is happening with Orthodox women in the Army. And again, I want to state that we need to make sure that they have the proper quarters to live right. and the proper, uh, proper environment and the right. proper environment. Right. And it's not, you know, it's not full combat units. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have 200 women in Shimona Matayim. In Wait, the, so what did he say? He, said the so he, says to me, he says to me the following. He says, please don't change anything of what's happening with women's leadership in the Army. And he insisted on saying this to you in yes. that institution. He says, and I'm coming to you this institution because this institution is changing the Army. It's changing the Army. And if you look at the statistics, and again, I think numbers are important when you spend community money. Right. Good point. The Very growth good point. of Orthodox women in the army is over 300%. And if you don't take care of their spiritual needs, you're making a mistake. It's a challenging mistake. 
I invite all of your listeners to uh, go uh, to the App Store. There is an app that we just released called Hadas Yomi. You can download it um, at least on your Androids. I don't know. I've never downloaded it on iPhone. Um, and it H-A-D-A-S? is H A D A S. Yeah, H A D A S Yomi. I don't know if you have to do it in Hebrew or in English, but tr- if it's not in English, try it in Hebrew. Hadas Hey da- Hey Samach. And I don't think you even have to type in Yomi. Right. Um, It'll come but up. it's a it's a daily learning piece, no, no larger than the screen of a of a phone, um, where a young woman or man who's in the army can sit and learn between shifts mm. or between uh, different things that they're doing. And I invite all of the listeners to participate and learn with our uh, children in the army, and and have that wondrous opportunity. But this is this is. You know, it's Seifa of a It's the it's the it's the Torah. It's the Torah. It's it's the Torah and the sword being held by the same person. It's uh, wondrous opportunity. We, opportunities. we uh, Rabbi Kenny Branders here. Uh, we've touched on uh, the men's and women's programs, the high schools, the shlichut, the outreach, or a couple of areas that you have become a uh, a real trailblazer in, and that Oratora Stone um, has really taken it upon themselves through the leadership of Rabbi and yourself, to be out there. One of them is Aguna Advocacy. Um, there are always two sides to a story. We get that. But sometimes people don't realize that when you take a stand in a situation, you have researched that episode and that situation very, very well and therefore can draw certain conclusions. And once those conclusions are drawn you and others approach the courts and the authorities and try to make this change on behalf of these women in really serious situations in Israel. Is there constant progress in this area? I think the progress is slow, and I think uh, your first comment was a very important introduction. We are advocates for both men and women who are are being held hostage, primarily women and primarily Haredi women um, who are being held hostage and can't get a, a get. Now, thank God in in, in the in Israel, um, we work very well with the rabbanut. Sometimes challenging, but we work well with them. And, and many times they are referring cases to us. They'll call us and say, "There's a really difficult case we're dealing with. She really needs your help." Wow! All the time, you can call um, the head of the Agaf Agunot. His name is Rav Maimon. I will welcome any of your listeners to pick up a phone and call him. And you'll see that. In fact, Ramayman has a picture of Yadli Isha in his office right behind his chair. You could ask Rabbi Lau the same question. I think he'll tell you that the relationship between Yadli Isha, although it's a women's empowerment organization, and sometimes it doesn't work hand-in-hand with the, uh, with the uh, daily workings of a more established institutions like the Rabbanut, will tell you his relationship – with Araguna advocacy program is is wonderful, but we we push them, we push them hard. Uh, we have a group of eight women who have been certified in all the laws dealing with Jewish divorce, who represent 120 women in front of the Jewish courts. Um, we push the but, rubber, but, but they will also tell you, as I'm sure you know, that in some cases, it is very hard for them to make progress. It's a very. It's know, impo- some cases are it's, very yes. difficult. Yeah, and it's very hard. But I can tell you that we have 120 cases a year in front of the courts. Every single year, we reduce that amount by 60. So we are solving around 60 cases a year just in the courts. 
And our biggest challenge is that it's always filling up with more requests. Yeah. So at the current time, we have around 690 women who are we're working with, and we're representing. Um, you know, at this, as you and I are speaking right now, we are representing 62 women in the courts. Um, we've we released 785 women from uh, from being Gunot. We have private investigators all over the world. We work with all organizations like ORA and others. We're pushing the Rabbanut, but I, 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 it's not always politically correct to say, but it needs to be said. But I'm not, I'm not the enemy of the Rabbanut on issues of – it's easy to be the enemy of the Rabbanut. It, it's, an easy, it's easier to raise money when you're the enemy of the Rabbanut. Um, but I'm not the enemy of the Rabbanut on these issues. I'm their partners. Right. But I'll push them. Right. Like when, when there was a bus driver who worked for Eged who was not – We read about this one. Yeah, year. who was not willing – it was just a few months ago. Yeah. Was not willing to give a get. Well, Eged is in a government company. And since it's a government company, the Rabbanut has the legal authority, not the moral, the legal authority, to demand that he be fired. So we pushed the Rabbanut, and they, he had 30 days to give a get. When he didn't give a get, he was fired from his job. He gave a get two weeks later. When a chassid is paying his son-in-law not to give a get, and he's an American citizen, well, when he, went, when he came for Sukkot to Israel, we pushed the Rabbanut to demand that when he tried to leave the country, he had to surrender his passport until he stopped paying his son, it was his son, from no, giving, son. son, not son-in-law, right. his son from giving his, from giving uh, a The get. daughter-in-law. Yeah, a get. Well, that changes, that changes things. We are demanding that the issue of get, which is a chilo Hashem, and has caused, in my opinion, the fact that there are 3,000 less marriages in Israel religious marriages in Israel, even though the population has grown. That includes Sohar and everybody else. There are 3,000 less marriages a year. Why is it happening? Because people don't have trust in the fidelity of the system. We know that people leave Israel to right. get married. Right. That shouldn't be happening. Right. Uh, I know that, <laughs> as you could see, I could sit here with you all day, and I know you have only a few more minutes, and it's unfair to bring this up with only a few more minutes remaining, but maybe there's a general statement you can make. Um, the area of conversion or, or Torah Stone has been uh, at the forefront. Somebody wants to become a member of the Jewish people. You have great sympathy. You, um, your staff gives great advice because a lot of advice has to be given through the process and obviously great education as this process goes along. Um, I don't know when this happened, but sometime between when the Torah was given and today, the attitude toward those who want to be Jews has changed. Would that be a fair statement to make? Because our Torah tells us to have a certain attitude toward those who want to be members of our religion. And we also know that certain communities, you know, in the last 50, 100, 150 years, have, have, have established a reverse type of policy to really stay away from those who are converts. Some, at some point, things changed. Um, I'm of the opinion, I don't know who agrees with me, that... If someone uh, establishes an interest in being a member of the Jewish people, like has happened at other historical times in our history, or I should say at other key times in our history, um, that, that we have to have a, a positive attitude toward them. Obviously, your, institute, your institution does. Can you give me a general overview in these few minutes I know of where we stand as a people on this issue? Sure. But if I can... Before I answer, just uh, I think it would be uh, if 
form of malpractice since we just talked about Aguna, not to encourage your listeners, um, as so many posts give in North America have advocated for, that when a Chatan and Kala get married, that they use a prenup, it is the polio vaccine against Aguna issues. Right. We'll use the word halachic prenup. Halachic so prenup, yes. Halachic prenup. You can go to the Beit Din of America or Ora's website and download it. Um, listen, I look at the conversion issue from a different perspective. Everything that you said is accurate. What I'm seeing is that there are so many people who want to convert. I'm seeing in Europe, when I speak to my rabbis there, that as the generation of the Holocaust is passing away, they're bringing their grandchildren around the table, around the bed and saying, listen, we, we didn't tell you that we're Jewish. We're Jewish, but after the Holocaust, we decided we weren't going to share that information. And now all of a sudden, they're knocking at the doors of our rabbis, and they're saying, our grandmother passed away and told us, and told we're, us Jewish. we're Jewish. We don't know what that means. And all of a sudden, they're, deal- they're dealing with what's called Zerah Yisrael, uh, people who are their, – their fathers might be Jewish even though their mothers aren't. And all the halachot, all the laws that deal with Zerah Yisrael issues. And then all of a sudden we're seeing in the uh, Jews in the former Soviet Union who are living in Israel, serving in the IDF, but if, God forbid, they were killed in battle, couldn't be buried in Har Herzl because they're not halachically Jewish. That's a travesty. We need to deal with it. So we have cre- created conversion centers in the various places to help our rabbis in Europe. We have created conversion centers. There's two in North America. And we are working – we're having conversations. I'm actually going to Ethiopia um, sorry for telling my wife over the radio on <laughs> it, but uh, after Shavuot, um, and we're in discussions about how to deal with their 8,000 uh, Ethiopians still in Addis Ababa and Gandhar, uh, and there's questions on there, how do we deal with those issues? And here you have people, who they want to be Jewish. But with- every case that you just mentioned are people who in some way are connected to Judaism. That's my point. Let's just focus on the millions or maybe it's hundreds of thousands. I don't want to overstate it. Because that have a connection already. That have a connection that are just interested. And let's work with them. And let's have the conversations with all governing authorities on these issues. So we don't create a fifth column in the Jewish people. I don't want Jews that are OU kosher Jews and Jews that are just K kosher Jews or triangle K kosher Jews. I, my point is I want Jews that everyone accepts as Jews. But people need to realize that we live in a messianic time, and I'm not understating that. All you, know, all you have to do is watch when Zachariah Baumol's bones were, were buried in Har Herzl and then go through Yechezkel, Paraglamat Zion about dry bones be reawakening. And all you, all you have to do is just sit at a, a tekes and see a grandfather with a, with a number on his arm hugging his grandson, and you see the prophecies come true. You play with a grandchild in a park in Israel, and the Pesukim and Yeshayahu are, are just coming true in front of you. Or, li- or, or review the, 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 the type of kingdom King Solomon had, right. how the entire world was at his feet. Right. We, we are seeing, seeing the same thing right now. We're, we're living in messianic times. The only people who don't realize it are us. The Christians are starting to realize it. We don't realize it. And there are people who, want, who are connected to Judaism, we have to find a way to deal with them. We have to find a way to make sure that within the parameters of halacha, I'm not suggesting that we go without, outside those parameters. And but therefore, we're welcome. working on those issues. But they feel welcome. Right. And if I can mention one other thing sure. for a moment. One of the blessings that I've had in my life is that I continue the legacy of Rabbi Riskin. Rabbi Riskin is a living Sefer Torah. 
And there's so many of your listeners, including you, Nachum, oh, who yeah. have benefited from him. So as Rabbi Riskin is turning 80, and um, you know, and he's con- thank God he's con- he's continuing to be active in writing and in teaching. We want to write a Sefer Torah in his honor. And this is not about uh, raising a lot of money. The people who are giving the major money are giving it. But if any of your listeners want to be part of giving a gift to Rabbi Riskin by just purchasing a letter in the Sefer Torah, they can go online to RavRiskinSeferTorah.com, uh, RavRiskinSeferTorah.com, and, and, and purchase just a letter or a Pusik, and they get a, they'll get a, an, a, uh, a certificate that can be sent to a loved one. But so many of us have, have benefited from his wisdom throughout the world. Um, you know, while he still can appreciate it, Admei of Esrim, we're writing a Sefer Torah in his honor. You know, <laughs> you know him. I know him since I'm 13 years right. old. You know him probably almost as long, if not longer. No, not longer. D- aren't you baffled by his energy? Aren't um, you? Yeah. Don't you sometimes feel guilty that you'll be traveling with him, and he and he is less exhausted than you are? Yeah, but now <laughs> at I'm, his age, now I'm at the point where I'm actually. I think he would you, safely say that I've caught up. In fact, Nachum, one time we should just do a radio show with him together. Oh, I would love that. So we're we're going to do me? that. We're going to do that. I, I, la- I, I spoke to him. I spoke to him the day of uh, of Cantor Goffin's funeral. Right. He called me from the airport, and um, and. I'm saying to myself, he just hopped on a plane, right. spent the entire day in Manhattan with the Goffin family, and, and is now right. at night turning back. And yeah. and this is something that you yeah. know that anybody in their twenties has trouble doing, right? Well, <laughs> well, yeah. Rabbi Riskin and I now have an understanding that he doesn't make those types of trips anymore because they're not; it's not healthy, right? Even though everybody on LL but we knows do who he is. But we do understand the exception uh, he made uh, for the Goffins. Uh, that that no, we get. There's no, there's no question. There's no question. But it is amazing. And uh, his energy, his commitment to the Jewish people. You know what he once said to me? I quoted this um, when, when Leon Goldenberg was here on our Yom HaShoah program. We were talking about uh, his family's uh, survival. And he was telling the story of when his relatives who survived held their first grandchild. And what that was like, and you right. can imagine. Rabbi Riskin once said to me, "I stopped fearing death when I had my first grandchild." Right. And I said, "Wow, that is profound." And right. does that speak about legacy? Does that right. speak about somebody who looks at the big picture and sees a vision? And I bet you you've had a million conversations with him about times that that you know where where he's confident he won't be around anymore, but he right. has a certain vision of what things need to be like. Right. In and Israel and the Jewish In my world. opinion, he has 5,000 uh, grandchildren walking around. Right. Uh, many, you know, many of them is, serving in the army. Yeah, hundreds, hundreds yeah. of serving in the army as you and I speak. All right, Rory Brander, um, thank God you have an appointment somewhere because otherwise I'd be sitting here with you all day. Uh, what a delight to have this conversation with you. Uh, the, the Safer Tower project that Rory Brander mentioned um, being undertaken by Artura Stone in honor of Rabbi Riskin. It's Rav Riskin Safer Torah. R A V Riskin Safer S E F E R Torah with an H at the end. Rav Riskin Safer Torah dot com. Rav Riskin Safer Torah dot com. Feel free to be in touch with Artura Stone at two one two nine three five eight six seven two. I recommend you go on their website at ots dot org dot il. Uh, there are wonderful uh, weekly newsletters and different Torah. Uh, that are um, made available to the public on a weekly basis, uh, really valuable and wonderful. And follow along, as we've been doing this morning, with the incredible growth 
on all these different continents uh, that uh, Oratora Stone continues to have an incredible influence and a wonderful uh, mission of Jewish education that continues to go forward. And uh, Rabbi Brando, we continue to wish you the best of luck. Hatzlach Mazel tov to you and your family. Thank you very, very much, and I'm so glad you were here this morning. That was my conversation with Rabbi Kenneth Brander of Oratora Stone. Next up, he came in second in the International Bible Contest. He's a student at the Kushner Yeshiva High School in New Jersey. Jacob Kolchamiro made quite an impression in Israel on Yom Atzmut and joined us and made quite an impression on JM and the AM. Here's my conversation with Jacob Kolchamiro on JM Rewind at the Nachum Siegel Network. Some of you may recall when we visited the... Um, Joseph Kushner Hebrew Academy, Ray Kushner Yeshiva High School, a few weeks back, we had a lot of wonderful students, a lot of wonderful students who were on the air with us. One of them was um, Jacob Kolchamiro. And I think we discussed at that time in our conversation the uh, national and uh, what would uh, eventually be for him the international Bible contest, the Chidonah Tanakh. We did not realize at the time that he would end up on Yom Atzmut, Israel Independence Day, finishing second in the world in a competition where generally the top spots are dominated by residents of Israel. But he would be the pride of Kushner, the pride of New Jersey, and the pride of the diaspora by being the, uh, the highest finisher of the diaspora students and by ending up in second place, which is a major accomplishment in the Chidon Tanach. Jacob Kolchamiro, welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you for having me. Do you remember our conversation at the Kushner School? I remember it very well. And um, you go to, and, and we'll work our way backwards because I do want to speak about the process, but let's just talk about last week because we made a really big deal about it here during our Yom Hatzma'ut special. And we were so proud that you had uh, finished where you did during the competition. Uh, am, am I being accurate that that non-Israelis do not win this thing, and they that and that when a non-Israeli finishes as high as you did, non-Israeli resident as high as you did, it's a really a big deal. I mean, I don't think personally it's that big a deal, but um, <laughs> it's true that typically Israel does take the top spot. Um, once I got to that point in the competition, it would have been nice if I could have taken away one better spot from them. But um, but I still think they typically take, uh, I think last year they took the top four spots and they sent four people. So, um, so yeah, I can see why people would think like that. What happened in the end? Because we're not really that familiar with the format. Was, did this come down to the last question or is it an elimination type thing toward the end where it could really go on forever if you and your competitor keep answering the questions correctly? Okay, so um, they there are 16 people on the stage, and then they slowly narrow that down until there are two, and then they give each of the each of the final two um, 12 questions each, and um, I ended up getting I think it was the tenth one wrong, um, but there were a few other ones I should have known the one that I got wrong, but there were plenty of other ones that I wasn't really uh, that I wasn't really sure about. So, uh, so I earned at least one. I earned at least one error at the end of the day. So you, so you, uh, so you leave there as an international hero, yet you're still kicking yourself for not getting the question right. A little bit, but like I said, there are there are other ones that I really shouldn't have gotten. I got a little bit lucky on, so I can't be too disappointed about the one that I got wrong. The um, the guy who won Jonathan Weissman, I think he was um, his knowledge was 
I think, better than the – more better than me than the two points that he won by. So um, so he deserved it, so I can't be too upset. Wow. Jacob Kohamiro is with us from uh, the Ray Kushner Yeshiva High School, the Chatan Hatfutsot, the highest finisher in the international Bible contest from outside of Israel and finished in second place. You were asked a question or two, or or tell me how many, by the Prime Minister, correct? Oh, yeah. So um, when there are four people, I believe, left, um, there's a Prime Minister around, and he asks eight questions. Um, and that's more of a, um, a written round where um, all four of the people get the same questions. They don't take turns asking people different questions. So the Prime Minister asked eight questions to um, to the four finalists. Did he sp- um, and- did he speak to you in English or do anything you know different or noteworthy because you were from the diaspora? No, not really. I think he just treated it normally. Um, I got spoken to in Hebrew. I mean, I guess he saw that I was. I mean, I was speaking to the uh, to the moderator and um, and the other contestants in Hebrew while right. I was there. Um, I've gone to Kushner for many years, and their Hebrew department is pretty solid, I guess. Um, <laughs> so, um, so my Hebrew was good enough to uh, to get along in Israel in the competition. So he spoke to me in Hebrew, and, but I didn't really get the chance to have a long conversation with him or anything. And did he? And did he in any way acknowledge or realize that you were from the Kushner School, a name that he's very familiar with? Um, I don't remember. Um, I don't. I don't think so. Um, he might have had a conversation with someone after. I don't. I don't really know. Um, he didn't say anything to me personally about Kushner when I when I ran into him. And, and remind me, uh, remind us what the bulk of the material was. I know you told us this when we visited you in Livingston, New Jersey, at the beautiful Kushner High School. Just remind me, you know, the bulk of your study was in what area of Tanakh? Oh, so it was a little bit spread out. There were like four hundred chapters or something around that number, um, and it wasn't all concentrated in one section. I would say the um, the primary focus of the um, of the questions that they ask are from Nevi'im Rishonim, the uh, the early prophets. Um, but in order to um, in order to do well in the competition, you um, you really have to um, have to be able to get questions right from um, from all of the areas that they test on, which really spans from Bereshit to Devarim, um, um the vast majority of the Tanakh. Was Rabbi David Hamudot helpful in your process? A hundred percent. So Kushner, uh, Kushner supplied me with a great teacher, Hamudot, and um, he tested me towards the end of the competition. He was testing me twice a week um, for a large portion of the year. It was once a week, but um, but he was really dedicated. His questions were spot on, and um, I'm really grateful that uh, that he was there and helping me like that. And um, and he was a great teacher. And what was the reaction of Rabbi Rubin and the hundreds of students at Kushner? When you got back to school after Yomat's mode, yeah. So I might even say that it was um, that it was slightly excessive. Um, <laughs> there was a um, I got home. There was a massive poster, whatever you want to call it, um, with uh, with a picture of me on it. Um, <laughs> so that, that was a surprise. And then there was a uh, there was like a whole assembly or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I got more svarim in there because I didn't get enough gifts in the last couple of days. Um, it was it was a very touching experience when I got back. They made a really big deal out of it. Um, Sounds. I mean, I don't really need a big deal out of things, um, but um, but it was nice nonetheless. Sounds like there was a ticker tape parade on South Orange Avenue, almost, huh? <laughs> 
Practically. As close <laughs> as you can get to that from a Torah competition. And I can only imagine, I mean, knowing both Rabbi Rubin and your and the faculty at Kushner and the pride they take in really, you know, uh, uh, inundating, uh, and I say that in the nicest way possible, uh, their curriculum and their students with Tanakh, and they take it so seriously, thank God. I can only imagine just how happy they were uh, that the that the school got all this uh, noteworthy attention because of your accomplishment. It must have been every, everybody must have been in a great mood when you got back. <laughs> yeah, and um, and they deserve the attention because really it was the school's Tanakh department and Torah department that got me um, that got me into doing this. Um, I had a lot of really great teachers uh, throughout my years at Kushner. I'm glad I still have another two. Um, you're, but um, you're but, yeah, they, the reaction was very touching. Um, and the teachers were so nice to me when I got back. And, yeah, I hope the school gets a uh, uh, share of the attention, too, because they were uh, a major part of it. You're only in 10th grade? Yes. Everybody in the competition were 10th graders? No, no, no. So um, I think you could be anywhere from anywhere in high school, I believe. I know three of the four Israelis. The one that I lost to is, uh, is a senior. Um I'd say the majority of the kids were slightly older than me, but there were um, there were there were a few that were younger, and there were plenty that were my age as well. Are you eligible to go back? So this is the sad part. I'm not. Um, once you participate in the international level, you can't re-enter into the national level, so I can't qualify for anything anymore. Um, so I'm hoping I'm hoping that I can maybe coach people or make practice tests or something, so I can still stay. Uh, Somewhat affiliated in some way with the uh, with the Chidon because this year was uh, I mean it was a major part of my life so it's kind of sad like what am I supposed to do right now? Wow. Um, so I have another half of Tanakh to learn so that's <laughs> something but um, but it would be nice if I can uh, if I can remain directly related to the Chidon as well. Wow, uh, very nice. Goal. It's a it's quite a it's, it's quite a wonderful goal. Well, um, we take great pride. You know, we have New Jersey and Kushner roots, and uh, we were so thrilled to hear the results, and we were extra thrilled when we realized that you had been on our show just a few weeks before and speaking about the Chidona Tanakh. So what can we say other than Mazal Tov? And thank you for, uh, thank you for all the pride you brought us one week ago on Yom Hatzmot. Thank you so much for having me. A pleasure. Jacob Kolchamiro, Ray Kushner Yeshiva High School. Chatan Hatzfutzot, highest-ranking Chidona Tanakh um, participant from the diaspora and second place in the entire Chidona Tanakh, the one that includes all the Israelis and those who might be even more familiar as they go through their younger years in school uh, with Tanakh and with the Hebrew language. Mazal tov to Jacob Kochamiro and his entire family and Rabbi Rubin and the entire Kushner family, and I mean the Kushner school family from all of us here at JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Jacob Kolchamiro, a 10th grader at the Ray Kushner Yeshiva High School in Livingston, New Jersey, placed second in the international Bible contest, the Chidon HaTanach. Thanks so much for listening to JM Rewind. Plenty more coming up if you keep it right here at the Nahum Siegel Network.